The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan on News Talk. I did say we'd come back to this story about uh, social housing and it's on the front page of the Irish Independent today that 20% of individuals or families are turning down the first offer of a social housing unit. Wayne Stanley of the Simon community had this to say on the issue on News Talk Breakfast this morning. What we would see um, for the people that the Simon communities engage with is that people are doing it for genuine reasons. And in fact, it, within the system, the local authority will make an adjudication on whether um, the reason that the person is given is reasonable. That was uh, Wayne Stanley from Simon Communities uh, speaking on News Talk Breakfast. Suzanne Rogers, the Research and Policy Analyst with Social Justice Ireland, is with me. Uh, Suzanne, can you can you understand and, and maybe enunciate for us as well some of the reasons why people would turn down an offer of housing? I think that's really, really important to look behind this headline. I haven't seen the original data, but I would like to see it. But even without that, um, that's really, really the key is why are people, that should have been the headline, is why were people refusing offers of, of a home? And I had a quick look um, between when your researcher rang and now, and on the social housing assessment, we have 12,913 households who've been waiting more than seven years, and we have 22,593 households waiting between two and seven years. A lot can change for people between two and seven years. And again, when you're looking at people for more than seven years, that could be 11, 15, 16 years. So you may have entered into the system a single man. Three years later, there's yourself and a partner. Two years later, there's yourself and a partner and one kid. Three years, you know what I mean? That the kids are in school, they're gone to college. So I think a lot of it will be. Um, now I do appreciate again that the local authorities do engage and they do, you know, they, they, they'll reconnect with you on a regular basis. But if you've put in for a one-bedroom flat and you get offered a one-bedroom flat and you turn around and say, "Actually, well, actually, no, I've I've just got married in the last six months and I've just had a baby," you know, there'll be all of those kind of things. And I'm really conscious as well that where your family supports are is so critical. So. Somebody might not think it's that big of a deal within Dublin City Council getting, you know, your family are in Kibbage and you get a, an offer of a place in Glasnevin, why wouldn't you take it? Or, um, you know, Cabra and Crumlin, so it's not that far. It's a huge distance. And again, once you move out across the country, there's a big difference between being in Blacksod or Ballycroy and getting an offer of a social house in Belmullet. So there's lots and lots and lots of different reasons why. And I'm so conscious, like I'm actually going to read this out from the Citizens Information website. If you're offered a house or flat that you do not want, you can refuse it without affecting your place on the housing list. However, if the local authority thinks that you do not have a good reason for refusing the offer, it may reduce your priority on the list. And if you refuse more than one reasonable offer, we don't have a def definition of reasonable mm. anywhere I can find, in a 12-month period, you will be suspended from the list for 12 months during which you cannot claim rent supplement. Nobody is turning down the offer of a social home without good and valid reason. It doesn't make sense. So, so does this speak to a system that needs to be a little more nimble then? You know, if, if people's circumstances change, that they don't ultimately end up getting offered the one-bed apartment. That, I, that, that might have been a, a better headline, but like I'm conscious as well. What we don't know is, did these people accept the second offer that they got? Was the second offer that they got actually a better fit? And also the houses that they were offered that they didn't take, were they then accepted by the next person who got offered them? You know, that sort of thing. Like, I just wonder where this is coming mm. from. Um, and, I, you know, I don't know whether it's feeding into this sort of, um, you know, beggars can't be choosers. And we've got to be so careful about that language because that is what we're doing to people. We're kind of saying, hang on a second, why are people who are being offered 
what some people consider to be a free house, but it's not. You do pay your rent on it uh, and turning their nose up at it. So I was so conscious of looking down through the bits and pieces that the media picked up on in the headlines, the reasons why. Um, and I, you know, I would absolutely second everything that, that, that Wayne had said, like there will be genuine valid reasons for this and very possibly... Um, you know, maybe the system does need to be more nuanced, but you've also got to look at there's just such a lack of social housing and, you know, families being offered maybe a, a home, maybe in somewhere where, like, one of the reasons was antisocial behaviour. If you've got three teenage boys and, you know, you're worried about what they're going to get up to and all mm. of like, there's people will have really valid reasons for, for, for not, for turning down the offer of a home. It actually doesn't make sense. So there has to be something behind it. Uh, Tom Phillips is with us as well, is Managing Director of Tom Phillips and Associates, uh, Adjunct Associate Professor of Architecture and Planning in UCD as well. Tom, can you understand and have sympathy with people who turn down the offer for the reasons that Suzanne has outlined? I, I, good afternoon, Kieran. I do agree with Suzanne, actually. And uh, I think in fairness to the independent article, Rory Hearn is uh, quoted as well. And he's saying there are many reasons why they're maybe rejected. So mm. I think there's about 5,000 refusals. But the ones, obviously, that are make most attractive headlines are the ones which are the, the kind of extreme ones which may not reflect the rest of the balance of the people. So it would be very hard to turn down a unit, but it's also it's annoying to other people who might be paying a mortgage to think that I, that I, I never had a chance to turn down a place because I just mm. have to get somewhere to live. So it's very important to go behind the headlines and see why the real reasons. And I think Suzanne has, has hit the nail on the head that there could be people whose lifestyles have changed or issues have changed. And also the fact that we're not building enough houses, because if we're building enough houses, this would be a non-issue. Yeah, I, 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 I kind of a point we mentioned this kind of briefly earlier in the show, and, and the point I was making was once the social housing units are not being left idle, who really cares if people are turning them down? Do you know what I mean? If, yeah. John, if John turns it down and then Mary moves in because of it, I mean, it might make people feel better to give out about John's sense of entitlement or something. But ultimately, once the house is full, uh, it, you know, the, the net impact on society is 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 zero. Yeah, and, and there, was a, there was a study done a few months ago as well about the vacancy rates of social housing and about the, the amount of time it took to refit social housing. I think eight months was the average. So it's, it's a very long time to, to, for a social house to become vacant and then eight months to have it retrofitted for a new family. So these are all parts of the big debate we have to have. And the planning system has been very keen to deliver social housing the last few years and also affordable housing. So it's 10% of a private developer has to provide 10% uh, social and 10% affordable. So you have to remember that there's 90% of the people or 80% of the people paying for the other houses. So like 100% of the people don't pay for all the houses. It's the 90% who take a mortgage who are paying for the, or mm. the 80% who are t- doing it. So you have to look at all these issues, but it's very unfortunate to have a headline. I mean, it makes a very attractive headline that 20% are shut da- are shut down, but that's, that would be fine if people were offered them last week and turned them down. But if, the, if as Susanna is saying, if they're waiting for multiple years, people's lives change and their household sizes increase and decrease and there's and also the issue that somebody who can probably afford a mortgage has more likely to have a job and might be able to have family support nearby but someone who's in a social house may not have that family support and they need the family support to help them to maybe to, to get a part-time job or a full-time job and move on so there's a lot of there's a lot hidden behind this headline Suzanne, you forgive my ignorance, but if if um, if people accept the offer of a house and they move into it, how easy is it to move from one social housing unit to another if your circumstances change, or are you kind of this this is your home now and you're stuck with it? 
You will be. You you are, you are allowed to go on. I suppose what's called a transfer list. Okay. And again, you, you're back into that whole thing of waiting then to either downsize or upsize, or you know, as as we as we age. I think that's a really key thing as well as we age. Um, you know, disability comes with with aging. We're living longer, so you you'll go on a transfer list, but then you've got to wait then for for that place to to come up. So I mean, I I was brought up in a. What, what we call a single tenure social housing estate and we had what we called old folks flats at the end of you know every third or fourth road you'd have these little um you know there was one set on the ground and one set above like, so that was factored in when when these houses were built you know 80 90 years ago so it will really be though about about what's available and where mm-hmm. it's available so you are kind of back into the same you're back into the same sort of waiting list situation. But as I said, you know, if you're waiting more than seven years um, to, to be housed, your situation has to have changed within that space of time. So I just think it, yeah, as, as a headline, I, I totally agree. As a headline, it catches the eye. Um, but I think it is quite unfair. Uh, uh, but you, we're also back, Suzanne, aren't we, to the point mm-hmm. that Tom makes that this is really a story as well about our lack of housing and our lack of social oh. and affordable housing. That's it. I mean, across the country at the moment now, we have just under 9% of all of our housing is social housing. And really and truly, that needs to be nearer 20%. And again, we need to be looking forward all the time, the demographic changes in the country, um, much more inward migration, lower fertility rates, we're living longer. So all of these changes need to be factored into that. And you will always have a cohort who can't afford market housing. That's that's as simple as that. I mean, there's a, some wonderful books on the, the building of Dublin by um, Joseph Brady and Ruth McManus. And it's fascinating because they're talking about housing in Dublin in the 1890s and some of the sentences could have been written 20 minutes ago. So we have this ongoing issue at all times of how do we supply um, low-income households or households who aren't or can't engage in the marketplace, there's always going to be that need and we really need to be up in our game. And, and, and Tom, I mean, I, I, I put the point to Suzanne earlier that maybe we needed a, a more nimble system. It is hard to introduce a more nimble system when there is that chronic undersupply. Isn't there? If someone has texted in here to make the point that, you know, they would like to get onto that transfer list and move because a, a, a housing unit that they took up in Dunleary right down is unsuitable for their mother who's 63 um, with a bad foot, uh, but they have to stay in the house for three years before they can get on it. Again, it, it, it speaks to the need for a more nimble system, but I mean, it's all very good to call for that in the radio studio. When you don't have enough houses, you can't introduce any system reform. Well, it does. And, and one of the things that frustrates me about the government has done in recent times is to actually outlaw forms of housing. So co-living is outlawed. I mean, it annoys a lot of people, but there's a fantastic scheme just recently done, Dunleary in, co- in co-living, where that's, like, I call it older, like for mid-20s type people who are like beyond, moving beyond students and somewhere they can start off. And also the fact that we don't have enough senior housing in the country, so we don't have a lot of purpose-built houses. And unfortunately, senior these days is anybody over 55, so I'd already fall into that category. But you've got a situation that in the UK, they've got purpose-built housing for older people with proper facilities for medical care, etc. And people have a sense of community and they're more more likely to move out of larger houses and Mm. live in their own locality. So we need to look at having a multiplicity of different types of housing types. There's no one size fits all. It doesn't work. It has to be bespoke and it has to be that we've got different types of housing for people starting off, affordable housing, social housing. And a lot of the, the, the key 
issue here is to make it tenure blind, for want of a better phrase. That's what it's defined as. So we look at an estate that you can't tell those are social houses, they're private houses. It has to look, you can't have a situation that there's them and us in the appearance of, of, of where people live. And then there's other issues as to whether the spec of housing now is so, so high that there's a debate about whether people in social housing have access to gymnasiums, etc. that might be in the scheme. And all these issues have to be debated. So I suppose in principle, this article is useful because it, it encourages debate, but you have to be careful yeah. that we don't run off and that, that one swallow makes a summer and that because one person turned it down because of the colour of a door that everyone writes off 20% of the people that you can't just do yeah. that. Well, listen, I quickly did the maths and unfortunately I'm as close to 55-year-old uh, plus senior housing as I am to the 25-year-olds <laughs> in the co-living that you describe. I'm right in the middle and I'm only going one direction. Anyway, uh, Tom, that's sobering thought. Thanks a million for joining us. Tom Phillips, Managing Director of Tom Phillips and Associates, Adjunct Associate Professor of Architecture and Planning in UCD. And Suzanne Rogers is a Research and Policy Analyst with Social Justice Ireland. <laughs> The Hard Shoulder with Kieran Cuddy with Nissan. Weekdays from 4 on News Talk.